Hello, Megas, and anybody else who's listening out there. Welcome to the latest edition of the Meg podcast. Um, this episode, in addition to the usual suspects of Richard Jeffrey Cook and Matt Haywood, we have guests. Yes, multiple guests. So not one, in fact, three guests. So I'd like everybody to welcome Paul Cummins, Graham Hello. Clacker, and Hello. Paul Stovall. Hi. Hi, guys. So thank you very much for joining us. And of course, thank you to Matt and Richard for the for continuing to put up with my endless drivel and waffling on at the start of these. OK, in this episode, we're going to um, have a look back at the recent God Wills It uh, Crusades-ish themed event, which was run at Battlefield Hobbies. So obviously, big thank you to Battlefield Hobbies for all their um, assistance and hospitality as usual. Um, hoping that the what I will call the pan will give us their, their pearls of wisdom on things like their army choice, what they were thinking or not thinking about uh, about their armies, um, how the armies did and things like that. So hopefully it will give, give you the listeners some insights into how um, the guys here designed their armies um, within the context of this theme. Um, uh, for good or ill, I, I couldn't make it. So you're going to be excused me talking about my army choice. I'm only going to ask the, the panel here to go through theirs. Um, not, not a lot of point in talking about an army that didn't complete. So you, you're missing my, my, my fevered ramblings this time. You'll be very glad to hear. So I think without further ado, we'll, we'll dive in. Um, as I said, God wills, it was Crusades-ish themed. It didn't just include the um, Holy Land. It also included Eastern Europe. Africa and Spain for the Reconquista, um, armies from from allowed from a number of the PDFs, Crusades, uh, Reconquista. Uh, my mind is going because I completely forgot to write it down. <laughs> I think Ossiedlung was one. Ossiedlung was one, and then some specific ones from Franca Crater and House of Osmond. Uh, House of Osmond. Thank you. See, I did, uh, didn't go, so I've not planned ahead now. So I just thought I would just um, ask the, the, the guys here first if, um, what they thought of the, the mix of armies that was taken at the event. Um, I list checked and one thing that jumped out at me was well, a couple of things that there were one, five later crusaders were taken. Um, really not very many of the Muslim type armies, a couple of Ottomans, and that was more or less it, really. And then um, apart from three Almoravids. Um, so, guys, what, well, yeah, what did you think of the mix and uh, any particular thoughts on those particular cases? I don't know. Uh, Paul, say something. Paul Cummings, let's start with you. Well, OK, um, Lake Crusaders are a real beast of an army, so it's always a good choice. Um, and then you sort of got to try and come up with something opposite. So it was, it, actually, the odyssey is that the last time there was a crusades theme, the Islamic armies absolutely trounced the um, the Christian armies. So I was quite surprised. I, I wonder whether it's a reaction to the last comp there that, that was um, foot sloggers. So LBs try to get as much mounted as they can and do something different to what they did before. But that doesn't explain the lack of Islamic armies, unless, of course, we go with the the best Islamic armies are the ones that did turn up with the um, with the long spear, which are also going to be good against the Laser Crusader, which is an obvious choice. So that's not surprising to me that 
there was that many or that few um, Fuji cavalry Arab big armies. Can I say I my, I was caught out because I expected there would be some uh, shooty Arab big armies and uh, had selected my army accordingly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I wasn't over in, impressed by other people's choices when it came to looking at my prospects. But uh, that that was that was certainly my surprise so, indeed. Yeah, I thought from an early an early player using shooting cavalry, it's it's uh, quite intimidating potentially having to deal with lots of charging lancers. It's a little bit harder work than it is when there's lots of infantry, so it does make shooting cavalry armies a bit harder to to use, I guess. Not more effective, but didn't stop me, mind you. But <laughs> <laughs> it didn't stop me either, to be perfectly honest. I knew there were going to be a load of crusader armies, and I still took what I took. So you know, you can judge my foolishness as you will. Uh, I'm in Richard's camp. I was expecting it to, to follow uh, Cross and Crescent and be lots of uh, lots of Arab armies. My choice was Robson's choice, really. You know, it needed I needed to pick an, Isla, uh, an Islamic army, really, because that's what I had the choice for. I did briefly consider El Cid, and I think that might uh, illuminate the the change in emphasis. If I remember correctly, there was a 1150-ish uh, cutoff for Cross and Crescent, or certainly before the vast bulk of the knights were going to be fully armoured. And yeah. I think probably the, the, the advent of fully armouredness, as uh, uh, certainly if you're a, an Arab using a long spear on a horseback, you go from, this is really quite, I'm really quite strong here, to, oh, no, actually, <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good point. I think you're right, there was a, a cut-off at Cross and Crescent that meant, there were very restricted numbers of fully armoured knights available. And also, I suppose the the, um, the later Crusaders wouldn't have been able to have those mixed infantry formations, spear and crossbow as well. Yeah, that was the other thing I was going to say. I think uh, those, anything that can fight and shoot on foot is really good value. So it can like, twice as many dice, pretty much. And that's pretty much the only units in that theme that could really do that. So that jump that up quite high yeah so but i, I must admit I, I was still surprised uh, there weren't a couple more uh, of the shooty cavalry muslim armies although i think a couple of the um crusaders had syrian allies um which would have had which had three units of mamluks so sort of crusaders with some shooty cavalry yeah what two of those? The army I would have fought with was somewhat along those lines as well. Um, although, okay, I said I wasn't going to talk about my army. I will say one thing. I, my army would have had a unit. It would have been um, Lusignan Cypriot with Mamluk allies. And, and the Mamluk ally would have had the armoured horse um, royal Mamluks in there. Ooh. And my thinking what would it was they'll be quite, they'll be, enough shooty cavalry out there to make it worthwhile <laughs> so so I, mean, I thought i thought it was interesting that there weren't there weren't so many many of the muslims um but um gk and uh, matt i'm sure will tell us why they did take shooty muslim armies as we as we go through this podcast um 
I would also also just note um, from because it cropped up in our last podcast and and Matt and Richard might be join me feeling slightly smug about this. Um, the Black Army Hungarian <laughs> was taken by uh, Richard Basilowski. Uh, apologies, Richard, if that mangles your surname. Um, we we suggested that the last podcast that it wasn't the greatest army on earth, and um, Richard, I think, proved it. <laughs> <laughs> um, coming last, you know. Um, has anybody had any further thoughts on that black army since that our last podcast, or has has Richard's performance at? Um, God wills it, just confirmed everybody's thoughts. I still like it as an army, um, but then I wouldn't use it the way Richard was using it. Um, the main reason for having it for me was the Hazars or the Gazars. Um, so Gazars, a couple of war wagons and some settlers. I think it's quite a nice setup, something to dance around and hide behind. But you sort of can do pretty much everything you want to do with the Hungarians, with the later Polish. Apart from the knights, are not quite so good in the later Polish. Okay, and I think to be fair to Richard, he didn't actually lose many games; he just didn't win many games. If you see okay. what I mean, fair, fair enough. I've only seen sort of the raw score at the end of it. So, yeah, yeah I think only um, only Lee actually conceded less points than Richard. I think he lost one and had three very low-scoring games. Yeah. I think, I think we did say it was quite a hard army to use. Yeah. Yeah. But he did win the wooden spoon, which I think was one of his major reasons for going. So, <laughs> something I have never done, and I, I consider it a, a blight on my wargaming CV. Oh, I have a few. It, it was an outstanding spoon, I must say. Um, it was outstanding. <laughs> we always pull up to his usual efforts in producing an excellent wooden spoon. Yeah, we, we all appreciate Will's Will's contributions on that. Okay, so, so uh, not to belabor this anymore, I think we should move on to uh, your individual armies, guys. Um, and oh, I don't know uh, who shall I pick to start with, Mister Clacker, on the grounds uh, he was. Um, if you could give give us some ideas on yeah, why he took the army, thinking about it, and so on and so forth. Uh, well. I went with the uh, Ottoman Turks. Uh, it was it was it was purely a um, sentimental reason, to be honest. When we uh, me and my dad started playing Meg last year, we went through a lot of the old figures that were left over, and the one sort of complete army we had was an Ottoman Turk army. He's um, also the same the same figures that that my mum got to the nationals final with about thirty years ago in WRG Renaissance. Uh, she did use them, obviously, somewhat better than I did. Um, so yeah, I, I decided for a long time I, I, I ought to use an Ottoman Turkish army. And looking at the theme, uh, I'd just been learning a bit about the Ottomans as well and listening about the uh, Crusade in the Copperis. So I thought I, I ought to take one. Um, so that was that was the reasoning behind it. Um, I only had uh, twelve Janissaries available, and I couldn't really see how to make the list work without two full blocks of eight. I thought they'd be a bit hard to support them, particularly with lots of charging lancers. So I decided to take the maximum number of Serbian knights and then pick the rest of it as kind of a shooty cavalry army um, and and try and use it that way. So I picked uh, 
I picked the four, the maximum number of uh, Kingji skirmishes. So four, uh, four blocks of six. Uh, three of them were Cantabrian. I picked the three units of Serbian knights. So one unit of four superior, who are fully armored, charging lancer, devastating charging melee expert. A unit of six, which are the same but average. And then another unit of six, which are average protected, charging lancer, dev charging melee expert. I later found out you can actually mix those two up, two up but I missed that bit in the uh, rule. So I had d different units for better or for worse. And then um, my the compulsory Azab archers, who I downgraded and took everything away. You know, they, had, <laughs> they were poor, unprotected, unskilled bows, so they weren't allowed any arrows. Uh, and I, I deployed them as far in a corner as I possibly could to uh, to make it as far away from my camp to make them not a very enticing target and also just to, to, to take away the temptation of me actually moving them which is always a bad thing uh, and then uh, I picked just four units of four protected cavalry I had two lots of the best sipai uh, uh, I think it's called uh, so superior protected experience bow short spear uh, two blocks of four of those I had two blocks of four uh, average protected experience bow short spear and I have one unit of Crimean Tatters who are form flexible average protected experience bow. Uh, and that just gave me an extra scouting point rather than taking a, a unit of Sipai. Um, so the plan was to have a tug which could work alongside one of the SUGs. Um, I had uh, 14 cards, so three competent professional generals for the, the Turks and one talented instinctive ally. Uh, and the plan was just to, to try and white dice up death, use the Cantabrian horse archers to give me some green dice, and hopefully insert the charging lancers at the right time. Um, but it was quite difficult. Uh, it's it's a lot harder using a shitty cavalry army when you've got something that doesn't evade. So you've got to got to time your your the insertion of your knights correctly. But uh, that was the that was the thinking behind it. Um, so yeah. did the plan survive contact with the enemy? Yes and no, I think is the answer, to be honest. I I, I, I had I, I set up one of the games as a buy, and the other three, I played two later Crusader lists and got... I was in the game for most of them. I lost 15-10 the first one. I think it was 15-6 the second one. Uh, and I was in the game for, for both games. Uh, probably a little bit lucky in the first one, really. I, I won where I really didn't think I was going to win at all, and, and and where I thought I was going to win, I didn't. As a classic case, is um, a couple of moments where I didn't. You, you try to get your angle. I, I tried to do some clever things and didn't get them quite right. And um, the third game, I was the third game. I was particularly pleased with the way I played, but I actually lost that one 15-4, as often <laughs> the way is. Um, I tried to do some clever angling, so my skirmishes broke one way or another, and it was a combination of not being quite precise enough to rescue the bad skirmish dice uh, or deciding to run away three times and rolling a two ones and a two, meaning I had three units of protected cavalry got hit in the rear by charging lancers, giving away eight factors. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, yeah, I did. In fact, uh, there's, a, there's a few times I've seen a shatter on the first dice. Oh, well, you'll be <laughs> 10 up then. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, so... Difficult to use. I thought it was going to be tricky against the, the Knights. Certainly got slightly put off by two units, two armies with three lots of six Mamluks, which were, were you know, very disturbing for my uh, lesser shooty cavalry as they were in this case. 
But uh, yeah, it, it worked all right. But uh, it was difficult. Um, I was really happy with three games that were competitive and and interesting. So I'm not sure it's a lift I would take normally. But uh, it was better than I initially thought it was going to be. To be honest. Anyone got any thoughts? My my experience with that sort of army is um, figuring out when and where to commit the knights. Um, that's something I've got wrong in the past. Um, so I, I commend you for for your use of it. Um, but uh, yes, it's uh, it was the sort of army I was hoping to face with mine. To be truthful, and I never did. <laughs> Do you think if you could have got some genissaries in there, it would have improved it? Uh, well, it's the same with everything. You've you've got to lose something to get them in, don't you? Uh, my my concern with the the genissaries was that they didn't have anything to work with. They'd have been potentially a little bit left on their own. I, I didn't have anything else to anchor them with. So uh, if you put two blocks of eight Janissaries in, it will look a very different list, as I suspect we will find out shortly. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess because I didn't have the Janissaries, it means I probably wasn't Bayezid. I was probably his one of his sub-commanders on, on the flank who was, you know, who lost. So that's fair enough, you know, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it's a good learning list as well, trying to do something slightly different with the, the mixture, of, mixture of knights and and stuff so uh, they're probably better shooting horse archer armies out there um so if you're gonna i have since acquired four more janissary so if i do you often text again i shall probably do something different but, uh, yeah i'd i'd certainly agree with richard's comment having used armies with shooty cavalry and, and some knights in as well or, or similar cavalry the the, the the timing of when to put the knights in is very important. I always find I'm wanting to push them forward earlier than they probably should be. Um, but if it, okay. um, Paul, I don't know if you've had experience with that. I can yeah, I, I tend to do the same. <laughs> yeah, I end up shoving my knights somewhere really painful really early because I get carried away, um, which is actually part of why my list was the shape it was in the end um because i kept losing the knights in, in heroic fashion which is of course how knights need to go but really you want to save them to save them for the um counter-attack not not the blast at the beginning yeah i'll li li leave matt's comments to his list because he also took an ottoman so i don't know, paul s if you've got any thoughts on the ottomans yeah, on, on Graham's Ottoman. I think on Graham's list, I think once you once you've made the decision to go with maximum Serbs, the list is probably fairly restrained or constrained, I should say. Uh, I'm not sure what else you could what else you could do with it. It certainly uh, it certainly gave my uh, me a fairly hard time practice game. So yeah, I mean you you are committing most most of three thousand points plus the general. Yes, you're probably 3,000 points of your 10,000 into the Serbs, aren't you? Yeah. Okay, so thank you. Thank you, Graham. Um, let, let's move on to Paul uh, S. Um, who, who I, uh, if, for those who don't know, did extremely well at the competition. Um, you placed second, didn't you, Paul? I did. Uh, in, in the end. Um, so behind Lee Sanders, who won all four of his games. Um, so, Paul, you used Almoravid in Spain. 
which again harks back to a previous podcast of ours, doesn't it? Indeed, you can you can take you can take credit for me choosing the uh, the Spanish author, so Nick. Um, I was inspired by your podcast to uh, to do so, although not entirely by the podcast. The practice game I played against uh, against Graham's Ottomans, I did in fact have a unit of four Christian knights, who um, came off second best to a, to a unit of uh, Spahai. And uh, and it got me thinking that my army was just a little bit skimpy in terms of frontage. You've got, yeah, going to a little bit in the, the list, if you're going to pick a Moravids, you're going to end up with the Black Guard and two units of, of long spear, superior long spear. You could have three units of six, but I think two units of eight is the widely regarded best pick. Yeah, And that, again, is a good over 3,000 points of your list before you've gone another another two and a half, three thousand on commanders, and there's not an awful lot left. If you then spend another fifteen hundred points, another unit of uh, good troops, there really is very little le- less left to pick. So having abandoned the knights, I I, I abandoned the cross the Christian crossbowmen as well and decided to go go and fight in Spain. As I say, I think the list the list once you've picked those three units, uh, you've got two units of compulsory uh, tribal um short spear shield wall you've got uh two units of compulsory uh berber horse who are javelins skirmishers who can't have cantabrian and once you've added all that up there's not an awful lot left i went with a unit of the aforementioned uh arrowless archers uh poor inexperienced bow a unit of six that used to fight try to find somewhere safish to sit and do nothing for the game uh, i'm quite taken with graham's idea of putting it out of command so you're not tempted to use it i didn't actually <laughs> do that but i think it's quite a good quite a good wheeze um what i did do though is i quite often had a, a command that i thought was going to be uh, putting its general at risk uh, and so i would add the archers even if they were miles away on the other side of the battlefield to his command so that if he ever did happen to die with, and all his other troops were dead, I'd still get his cards to play with because he could go and join the archers. Or rather, he wouldn't disappear because he had no no troops left in his command. Yeah, no, that sounds a very good idea. And for, I suppose, for newer, newer players, just a, a rules point there that if your general is killed um, and also all the units that have been allocated to his command are destroyed, he doesn't come back. So you'll lose all the cards for that command for the rest of the game so you know having having a unit that's miles away from any action that he can pop back to even if he then does pretty much nothing you've got the flexibility to at least discard cards and 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 have some flexibility that way so i think it's a, a really good point between the two of you there paul and graham yeah uh, this your side just for a second there what happens if you've got a, got a floating CNC and, and he dies? He's got no no troops in the first place. Is he gone? CNC <laughs> technically commands all troops in an army, doesn't he? He's in line of command. It was a, it was a moment that struck me there for a second. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> no, actually, no, to, to throw, throw this to Richard, I think Richard is better at these questions than I am. I think that's correct. I think the, the, because the army commander technically commands all troops i my view would be that he can return to any unit in the army 
Um, it does, however, imply that for one turn you cannot dish out any cards because your floating commander won't be actually on table to do so. Um, so, uh, yes, probably not the best thing to happen. I guess, <laughs> I guess if you had uh, a, a cup of allies and you lost all the, all the troops, all the core troops, you possibly wouldn't come back then? I think by that stage, if you'd be pretty near breaking anyway, it'd be quite hard to construct <laughs> an army. It's probably doable. I'm uh, tempted. I'm tempted. <laughs> I, I, I can I can see both Paul and, and GK nodding here, going, "Oh, now there's a challenge." <laughs> Paul joining in now, and, and, and Matt, Matt's probably just writing an army list. Actually, half of Matt's does army Matt not have probably work that way anyway. Yeah, my army this weekend comes close to it because um, <laughs> that has two allies. So the actual core army is less than half the total number of units. Oh no, it's good. We're <laughs> setting up a challenge for people. Yeah. <laughs> so, who to blame for that one? Um, who knows? Uh, sorry, Paul, um, we did, did we take me away from you. Yeah, yes. You were describing your army, but ho hopefully there's some so useful just, in there for. Just to recap it then, you've got uh, five units of uh, close uh, infantry, uh, the, the two superior spearmen, the the exceptional black guard and the two units of Berbers, uh, the two units of uh, skirmishing light horse, uh, and uh, and the, the really crummy unit of archers, and that left me with about a thousand points up left at the end, um, oh, which I went for a unit of sensible archers. Let's say I didn't, I, uh, unprotected, experienced bow, uh, um, tribal. Um, I made the mate strong, and I and I refrained from making the combat shy. Uh, and their their job was to intimidate shooty cavalry armies, of which, of course, there were very few. Um, <laughs> uh, and that was that's that's about a bit over four hundred points. And I spent the rest on three units of six uh, skirmishing infantry, two bow and one sling, all uh, average, unprotected combat shy. Which again were kind of insurance against shooting cavalry armies, uh, and they actually did a pretty good job for tournament. I think I would, uh, I think I will be a champion of picking uh, cheap skirmish skirmish infantry. Uh, I would, I would argue better in certainly better in sixes for my army uh, than in nines. I think you need to give a bit of thought as to what you intend to use them for, uh, but for essentially a, a close foot army. Having a, a file of two uh, skirmishers stuck between the the blocks, uh, it's quite difficult for the other guy to get at them, and two base width gap is quite difficult to insert something in to get a sneaky flank attack. They tend to they tend to protect each other, and so it almost gives you a natural spacing, which uh, I found quite useful. It lets the, the lets the list occupy more space than it would do otherwise, and um, which makes it a little bit more difficult for somebody to go. Uh, and just hold you up on one end because they're not holding up so many troops, essentially. Uh, and of course, the skirmishers will shoot at whatever it's trying to hold them up, which uh, can be annoying, if nothing else. I think you forgot the camels, Paul. Oh, sorry, I have indeed forgotten the camels. <laughs> my last How could one, you forget the camels? I know, it's madness to have forgotten the camels. So there's a unit of six tribal camels who are uh, formed loose, uh, average protected, 
short spear, devastating charge, melee experts. Tribal, actually. Tribal, sorry, tribal, yes, tribal. And tribal is a tribal is the, 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 the is a bit of a difficulty for them. It must be said. Um, so they did tend to sit uh, right at the back uh, and await their moment. So they were quite they were quite like Graham's Serbs in that respect. <laughs> Um, they were helped on a couple of games where I got a, a fairly useful situated piece, bit of brush, which meant they could walk, walk into the brush and and uh, manoeuvre through that without anyone getting in their way. Perhaps worth explaining that uh, camels are not affected by brush, um, so gain all the benefits of being in good terrain. So camel armies tend to have a natural uh, preference for brush terrain yeah. because they get the advantages of mounted against loose foot. Does anybody use many camel armies like that? Because my thought would have been if you just stick, my experience with terrain like that is that you put your camels in the terrain, they're already quite like fight, fighting cavalry anyway, so the other person's cavalry simply just won't go there. I don't know. Is that the, the usual thing I find is that people have learned to stay away from the brush so you can almost play on the fact that you know they're not going to put anything there, um, particularly if you outscout them. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it's using terrain in the sense that it spooks the other person rather than necessarily expecting for the camels to actually fight in that terrain. Uh, in one game I played, they, were, they, they had quite good fun by moving through the brush uh, against the Crusader as a list. And my skirmishing javelin cavalry could then go out and play either side of them. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, that meant I didn't. Oh, so I have forgotten another unit. Oh dear, I'm not doing very well here. I also <laughs> forgot my. I've also forgotten my guzz. Uh, I, there's a, 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 um, a unit of guzz who are uh, form flexible, uh, unprotected, experienced bow, who were whose main job was to sit between the two units of uh, Cantabrian javelin men uh, and. Uh, Go into go into formed order when necessary to stop people trying to drive them off. Absolutely, yeah. I have to say, I, I'm really intrigued, and I think um, it's a really cunning idea you had about the was, you talked about earlier about having those skirmisher units between rather than in front of your infantry. You it's know, quite- I, I, I think my my instinct is always to put them in front unless they're right out on the flanks or something. And I, I really like that idea because, especially for this Almoravid, because when fighting, I've always found it, it's narrow. So especially if I've got a shooty cavalry arm, I'll think, well, I'll, be, I'll get round one flank or the other really quite easily and cause it all sorts of problems. But that would extend it. And as you said, they shoot as well. So I'm well impressed by that. Yeah, I, I I I varied it a little bit depending on opponent, and I I also oh. arranged my arranged my so my generals I gave a bit of thought to. I had a professional competent CNC, and I picked a a, a talented professional uh, to go with him, and then two uh, competent instinctives. With the theory being that if I wanted to uh, if I wanted to move the the, uh, the 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 fighting troops forward quickly in a game. Uh, and I had the option. You know, I, I, I got enough information from the scouting to, to do or deployment to do so. I could stick four units of the fighting infantry together in a big block, and I would be pretty guaranteed to be able to double march them on the first turn, even though a couple of them were probably tribal. And I'd used that on. Maybe I used. I think I maybe used it in 
I used it once, I think. I used it in the first game against Will Denham because he was playing with uh, medieval Swedish, some some variant of Swedish. We had which had a lot of crossbow crossbow loose infantry with pole arm front ranks, and so obviously I wanted to get to groups of those as soon as possible. And so I used that trick there. Uh, thereafter, I played armies that it didn't really it didn't really suit that policy, but I did try and set it up so I had that as an option. I do think uh, some players don't give enough thought to how their commanders are going to command their army. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can't claim to have always get it right. It's not uncommon for me to go and put my generals down and go, ah, how am I going <laughs> to? Why did I put those three units together over there? That's not going to work and so forth. But uh, I think it does it does uh, reward a bit of pen and paper work beforehand to try and work out some options on what you're going to do with your commanders. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thoroughly agree with that. No, I like that. That's an interesting mix of too professional and too instinctive, uh, which I have to say is a combination I haven't tried, but uh, see opportunities to try that out at some point. I've I've tried something similar before with a um, mid Republican army, mid Republican Roman army. It's quite it's quite uh, a nice feel. I had some allies instead. It's quite a nice feel if you do decide you can decide to float your general and you don't even have to look at the cards, you just pass them all to one side and it's it's quite refreshing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I quite like it this setup because if the professional, the professional presumably will always command troops because you've only got two professionals, floating would be a bit daft. Um, although it does mean that one general will get seven cards, <laughs> it's um, it, it does mean that the, the talented. You can you can say well he's, he can have five cards if he needs it, and that does make quite a bit of difference. Uh, mathematically, it does still actually make sense sometimes to float depending on the area you're trying to command. If it, if you if if all the troops of those two generals in command are going to be comfortably within one general's range, what you do is mitigate the bad cards by having them all in one place. So it does it does work quite well that way. I, I, I can do. I varied floating him and not floating him, depending on the, how much space I needed to take up. And also, to some extent, uh, on, uh, on on the opponent's card count, or what you expected card count. So, um, playing the uh, Lithuanians? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, the closest I had, well, they were a shooting cavalry army, really, just... Um, and so I did deliberately not uh, not float the, the CNC so he could command the unit, and it kind it kind of gives you an extra card because it lets you upgrade a black something to move a unit. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sorry. It's interesting that you both thinking think that floating is is, is potentially a good, a good thing. I'm, I, with just one subby, I'd I'd have I'd have put it in the I'm not going to do that category. Wow. So, so you know, but, but you know, and, and yeah. who am I to argue with a man who came second at competition? <laughs> <laughs> Just to yes. mention generals, actually, I found something I was learning through as I use my list because one of the issues with Cantabrian horse archers is you need to pay a card to move them to put them into Cantabrian. Uh, and I, I took me up till the last game to to work out that the best thing to do was to put a general with each with a Cantabrian unit so that I could use a black card uh, to, to convert them. Uh, I, I messed it up slightly in the second game because I remembered to put the two generals in question with a, a horse archer unit and then realised that 
I'd put one of them with the one unit of skirmishes that didn't have Cantabrian. <laughs> it could have been tough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so best side plans. It's, um... it, it, it is, yes. Yeah. So, so just out of interest, Paul, which armies did you play? So I played uh, Wildam's, uh later Swedish. I couldn't tell you the exact uh, name of it um, in the first rounds. Medieval Swedish. Yeah, it's medieval Swedish is the army. Yeah. And then I, th I think I played Lee Saunders second. Uh, no, did you play me second? No, I, played, oh, no, I, played, I was third. Was third yeah, okay. I played the Clash of the Pools was third. Uh, and then I played Steve Spedding. Is it Steve Spedding? Keith Spedding. Keith Spedding in the final game. Um, so I played two, uh, two late Crusaders. Um, one sit and shoot infantry army uh, and one uh, shooty cavalry army, essentially. So a pretty good mix. I had four cracking games. And uh, I must say, uh, the game against Lee, I probably enjoyed the most, even though it was all I lost. Um, it was a real... Uh, both sides having several units within a base or half a, uh, or a wound of breaking with our armies on the brink of going, the next unit went. <laughs> and it just happened to be that... Uh, that Lee got it, got it over me on the on the last on the last knockings. Even though uh, I was about halfway through, I was I was sort of two sets to one up, and then he came back. <laughs> <laughs> How appropriate with Wimbledon going on at the current time. So yes, yeah, so, well, I mean, obviously, you got you got fifty three points, came second. So we, could, we can, uh, you know, I think we can say the army worked, and uh, again, it is just. Obviously, people are trying to put me in my place because I keep writing it off and going, nah, it's just not good enough. <laughs> and, and we should, should point out as well that Sam Street, using Amoravid, the African version, came third. So, <laughs> so you know, I, I'm well and truly eating humble pie, I think. Well, I mean, certainly the, um, the, uh, the selection of armies that were picked uh, had me both uh, rejoicing and somewhat uh, apprehensive at the same time. And as much as when you look at all the charging knights and, and you've got long speed, you kind of think uh, this should be this should be a competition to do, I could do well at. <laughs> <laughs> so you know there was a bit of a self-imposed pressure there once the once the draw once the runners and riders came out. <laughs> I've always had the feeling looking at it when you pick it compared to some of the other tough infantry armies, it doesn't look so good. But it's probably an army that does better in period. That's my get my gut feeling with the armor of it. Yeah, there could well be some do, and, and and oddly some do better out of period. <laughs> it's one of those strange things. Okay, Paul, thank you, thank you, and and obviously once again, well done. I am going to pick on the other Paul for the next one. So I think you know we move from a mainly foot army to entirely cavalry <laughs> entirely cavalry army so um... yeah, entirely mounted later lithuanian um from my point of view chosen in reaction to um foot sloggers i think because um that put me off infantry for a little while after playing had a lovely army that played so badly with it um and i don't think it works for the way i think the way i want to play i want to try basically it's, what i want to do is i want to try and make a mess of the battlefield and then jump on something so the later Lithuanians, the shoot and charge, perfect. You can run away from everybody until the battlefield's a mess, and then you can make an, an even more of a mess when you come back in again. Um, earlier versions, I kept 
trying it with the knights and as I mentioned earlier, just throwing them away uh, with it. So other Polish knights or Teutons, whichever I used, I ended up just losing them without any gain. So it was shoot and charge all the way down. So I think I had six, um, six sixes of flexible, uh, unprotected short spear shoot and charge. Couple of sixes of superior, um, not flexible, protected shoot and charge. Two fours of average and one four, another four superior. So it for eleven in total. Um, split up into two internal allies. Just desperately trying to scrape enough points to get all the toys that I wanted. I thought, yeah, it's no chance of losing both allies is pretty minimal. Minimal. Um, I didn't manage to lose both allies. I only lost one ally um, for one game for most of a game, which was painful. But that was a game that was going horribly wrong from the start when I managed to pull um, five blacks and five whites for the PBS. Um, and from there on in, it, then straight into having an unreliable ally, things were not going according to plan on the generals there. Um, I, make, making me think that it's not worth investing, worrying too much about the PBS because it's so random. Is <laughs> you know if you if you're trying to get your professional general in or your higher higher paid higher paid general, your higher card general in there as your CNC to try and get those extra cards, it's a, it's a one off shot and it's quite a lot of extra points. Is it worth it? Mm, I'm beginning to think less so than it was. But anyway, the whole point of the army was to run around, make a mess, and then jump on things. Um, it worked in places. Uh, I played map first of all, and it had a couple of a couple of moments, but I got blatted um, up against the Crusade of Nic Nicopolis, uh, um, Dave Parish, where this is where my cards, that one with the black, all the blacks and whites, and the PBS and the unreliable ally, sit there in the middle of the battlefield for the entire game until he charged it, which was very kind of him because I only needed a yellow to come back on side then and. They just held on just long enough for me to win with pretty much one wound to go. And that's the only game really where the shooting charge kicked in. Um, I just didn't quite manage to get things in the right place at the right time. I didn't manage to make enough of a mess um, in any of the games really until that one. Um, but it did have the glorious moment when the Knights charging the unit and so Crusaders charging one of my units needed to break one unit to take the game, and so they would sort this shoot and charge back again and broke them before before contact, which was joyous and made my day. So it was worth spending all the points <laughs> on shoot and charge the entire army just for that moment. Um, saved saved the army and broke the uh, broke the enemy in one go. Genius. It's I think it's, I think it's quite a fun army, but it's not very complex. Um, it just takes a bit of bit of work. And I think actually listening again to Paul's um, description of his army, what suddenly came back to me was the skirmishes alongside the foot just made a mess of my army. Um, and I think people are beginning to bring more foot skirmishes. And I wonder if that's beginning to put the kibosh on um, the shooting cavalry armies, begins to reduce their effectiveness because you don't want to get into a shooting match with foot skirmishes because they're really cheap. And everything they, every time they do you damage, it hurts. And 
suddenly you're no longer sitting in front of a block of pike or pocket block of spears shooting them and upsetting them horribly you're taking casualties back again and that's no fun as a shooter cavalry army <laughs> you need to get out of there and then you run out of room so i wonder as it struck me listening to paul a minute ago thinking about how it went for my game that might be why there's been a reduction in those in the number of shooter cavalry armies and now i'm regretting my choice for um for the next competition of taking guns <laughs> with exactly the same concept i mean that, that's the problem with the, the lithuanians is the lack of anything really heavy in there so you've got you don't have any uh, melee expert uh, or skilled shooters so it's like, well there's a couple of superior units it's fairly vanilla fairly average all the way through the only thing really got going for it is the shooting charge which is still glorious cheers it is, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, I can't think what to say about that. I'll let, let everybody else talk. <laughs> it's, it's a difficult army to comment on because it's just a whole bunch of experienced bow, short spear, shooting charge cavalry. It is what it is. It is. There's um, nothing complicated in there. It, no. Um, uh, again, it's another army I wish I'd fought. <laughs> I'd have quite enjoyed it, I think, but there you are. <laughs> yeah. I did, did, did you fight a later Crusader? Uh, no, no. The only Crusaders I fought were the Crusader Nicopolis, which is the game that I won there. So Yeah. Um, well, I, I could imagine it wouldn't like facing a later Crusader. I, that's sort of what I was hoping to fight um, a bit more. Um, because that's the sort of army I could force to run around a bit and get in a mess. Yeah. I mean, it relies on getting the enemy into a mess as opposed to actually you know, winning. So, to be honest, I need to fight incompetent people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, the reason I said that was I was thinking, well, certainly in terms of the ones that were taken to the competition, which quite often had the had the the mixed foot shooting ones that we talked about earlier. And three units of Mamluks. The Mamluks were a concern. It's, um, you know, I've generally found when I've used that sort of cavalry, if somebody's got not quite so good shooters, you know, although the Mamluks aren't skilled shooters, they're superior protected and anything they just come up close to unprotected units, that's really quite horrible. Yeah. You know, and so it's uh, it, it 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 is. You know, yeah. It, it is what it is, isn't it? Yeah. Now there are more imaginative and more complex versions of things you can do with it, but I thought I'd just go for simple. And why not on occasion? It had, it has its moments. Yeah. So would you use it again? Or would, oh, it would I use it as a completely vanilla version? Um, yeah, I probably would actually. I probably would. Maybe there are better ways of doing a similar army, though. I think um, Huns for a start. Same sort <laughs> of idea, except you've got some skill shooters yeah. and you can stand the fight. I, you know, because they've got no melee expert, you're having to try and hold on to cards to try and withdraw, you know, uh, break off from combats and go in again. That was the sort of park plan. Um, I never managed to have the cards at the time when I needed them. Uh, I didn't really get in a fight against the Amoravids and against the uh, Crusade with a 
uh, a general not online, so three cards down. I never had spare cards. Yeah, that disappointing it. for that. But yeah. It is, yeah. So, okay, well, thank you for that. I think I'm going to ask Richard to go next, leaving leaving Matt to the end, as, as we often do, just to finish off with whatever Matt's latest insane army is. Um, <laughs> and also, I'm just liking the symmetry of starting with an Ottoman and ending with an Ottoman. Call, call that some sort of peculiar OCD, if you like. So, Richard, over to you about your army. So I chose uh, medieval Portuguese with a Castilian ally. Um, which uh, had a competent professional army commander, uh, a Castilian ally who was competent and instinctive, and two further competent instinctive sub-generals. So I only had 12 cards, which uh, I, in practice I found out was just about okay, but I think it was really on the sort of minimum that you could get away with. Um, the army itself uh, consists of a unit of best knights who uh, uh, they're mixed. All the knight units are mixed knights and sergeants, so half fully armoured, half protected, uh, front rank charging lancer. The best knights were a superior devastating charger melee expert, so they're up, up with the best really. Um, I had two units of ordinary knights, um, so they're just average form loose charging lance and melee expert. But the critical thing is they are dismountable. Um, so I had the option of um, dismounting them as fully armoured to handicap and crush form close infantry. Um, so that was part of the rationale for choosing the army. Along with that, I had two units of spearmen, eight of protected short spear shield wall, and three units of um, protected experience crossbow. Um, and those are the sort of, they're not combat shy or anything, so they're quite meaty because um, you get the extra S when they're sh um, charged in, um, for the shooting. So, um, uh, and then the Castilian ally consisted of a unit of knights, um, just six again charging lance and melee expert average, but supported by two units of Castilian jeanettes, who are skirmish average protected, experienced javelin, short spear cantabrian. So they're quite nice because they're protected cavalry skirmishers and cantabrian. Um, and then just to use up the remaining points, I had a unit of handgunners, just six protected experienced firearm. Um, so that that was the army. The plan with it was to um, use the spearmen and crossbowmen in combination. Um, and if the opportunity presented to dismount the average knights to be fully armoured, to only cut and crush to support the infantry, um, and then to use the Castilians really as a protection around one flank, um, and to use the best knights wherever the opportunity presented themselves. Um, I chose it really hoping if if it came up against um, 
shooty armies that I'd have enough of the crossbowmen um, and the fact I could have the fully armoured foot that it, it could give those sort of armies a problem. Uh, my one concern was that it could be outnighted by um, something like the later Crusader with its fanatical um, <laughs> order knights. Um, uh, and indeed, in the competition, the, the, the army that bested it was Keith Spedding's later Crusader, um, where he, although he actually got a 15-6, the, the game was actually a lot, lot closer than the score might suggest. Um, I had at least a couple of units that were sort of a wound off breaking. Um, yeah, overall, I had four good games. Um, I started out by playing uh, Sid and his uh, medieval, I think it was medieval Polish with a Hussite ally. Um, <laughs> yeah, I like chopping up war wagons with my axes. Um, <laughs> just a rules point, Simon. I think that two added gun crush should get plus two against battle wagons, not, not plus, <laughs> plus one. <laughs> um, but um, that makes uh, sense. Um, but uh, yeah, then followed up uh, the second uh, second game um, was oh against Ian. Um, he was using uh, Esther Leonese, which was quite an interesting choice because he had twenty four superior protected charging lancer um, knights. Those are the early ones. Uh, plus a unit of four Teutonic Orders. So I was actually outnighted in that game, uh, but used the infantry to beat up his infantry before he could break my knights. Um, third game against Keith was the one I lost. Um, he, again, he just had better knights. Although, interestingly, my crossbow were more than a match for his mixed spear and crossbow. So um, I was quite happy about that. Um, and then the final game, I played Dave's Crusade of Nicopolis. Um, and I think it's fair to say that things went well for me in that game and didn't favour Dave too well. Um, but yeah, cracking competition and very pleased. I think I ended up fourth, which uh, was very did indeed. Did you say your protected crossbow grenades? Uh, they are, yeah, three lots of eight. Okay. Um, I, I tended to deploy them with the spears um, too wide in between the eights of the crossbow and then protecting the flanks with um, with the knights generally. Um, and uh, yeah, um, uh, on the whole, they they seem to do OK. I must confess, I, I dither between six and eights for those sort of troops, for those like crossbowmen. They think four wide, they get less manoeuvrable. And I, I've sort of had this a dislike of having a third rank, which doesn't do any shooting. <laughs> Maybe I'm. Um, yeah, I've, I've found with the eights that the trick, I suppose one trick I used was to um, advance and contract them into a two-wide column and then push the knights through. Um, that's certainly um, caught out a couple of my opponents who perhaps hadn't expected that. Um, I just find the sixes are too vulnerable. 
Yep. Um, <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, occasionally I would use the, if they're going to face shooting opposition, I'm quite happy to put them three wide and then have the extra ranks to fill in the gaps to continue the shooting once you take the casualties, because if you're reduced to one rank, it, it really reduces your um, opportunities in the shooting competition. But uh, yeah, I've, I've found um, if you if you downgrade them with the combat shy, they just become too vulnerable to too many opponents. Whereas if you keep them without the combat, keep them with no combat shy, um, they can hold up their own in melee as well. Because your opponent's taking casualties coming in. So uh, um, yeah, yeah. It, it, it can be tempting to dip, give them combat shy because you get a pretty substantial point saving. But as you say, they become significantly weaker if anybody gets into contact with them. So it's uh, yeah, just a a point. Just just make sure I've got this right. You see, with your with your average knights and sergeants combos, uh, they they dismount entirely as fully armoured. They do indeed. Yes. So so, so, so the the sergeants part sort of get a bit of an upgrade. <laughs> uh, yes, that that's intentional. It also makes it points effective yeah. um, you're not losing too many points well, what would you use to any cut and crush specifically against because i'm always a bit worried looking at them because they look like uh, an expensive unit that's very very vulnerable in the charge um well they are too mounted but i mean they they might have held their own against the superior long spear foot for example um, in combination with the um, crossbow, um, so uh, that that was the sort of idea that, um, and obviously they're ideal for going against battle wagons because uh, normally you have to get to four and then dismount if you're going to face a battle wagon. Whereas I could dismount and go in straight away. Um, I, I did catch um, Sid's Hussite uh, war wagons a bit on the hop by double marching forward and then carrying on at full speed into the wagons. Makes sense. Yeah. And just uh, one question might be obvious. I presume the, the Castilian ally was taken mainly to get those genets. Yes, that's that was um, the main reason for having the... Yeah. It presumably right. helped your scouting as well. Uh, it put me on four scouting cards. Um, yeah, if you take the Portuguese without the um, Castilians, you, you're restricted to one unit of um, Jeanettes, I believe. So uh, it was so, it was just a combination that I'd come across and tried and quite quite liked. Saves quite a few points as well, doesn't it? Having a competent ally. Uh, it does. Um, it's obviously there's that risk that they might go hesitant, but um, uh, it's one I've uh, found I'm, I'm happy to live with. <laughs> it didn't happen in the four games I had at the weekend. So. Yeah. I'm quite a big fan as well of that. So. I, I, would, I would say from list checking, as I do quite a bit, um, and I know Richard, Richard's been espousing this approach for some time i think i could say without without doing a scientific survey 
more people are taking competent allies than they used to, as opposed to talented. Um, there was a stage where all allies were talented. And I know we did play around with the points slightly, didn't we, Richard, to try and make that a little less of a no-brainer. Um, it was suggesting that the points for talented allies was too cheap. Um, so, but, but I think people are now, they're, they're signing up to it in the way, you know, they're signing up to using skirmishers. As Paul pointed out, Paul S pointed out, you know, and maybe this is why there are, there was a bit of a, a reluctance to take um, shooty cavalry armies in this one. I, I wonder if the counter will be, look for shooty cavalry armies that have protected flexible types rather than the unprotected flexible types. <laughs> Possibly, or, or maybe shooty cavalry armies that have their own skirmishers as well. Heaven forfend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> People just start suggesting that, that we, we, we take infantry with our cavalry armies. You've got to have some peasants who are too poor to afford a horse. Yeah, they're the opposition. <laughs> <laughs> the opposition provide them <laughs> arrow fodder. <laughs> so, so all, all, all in all, yeah. So, yeah. So uh, it is, and I think we, we we now move on to the highlight that is always <laughs> Mr. Haywood's <laughs> peculiar and idiosyncratic takes on lists. Oh, actually, before we go further, because it was mentioned, and I meant to mention it at the beginning. Uh, um, Dave Parrish taking the Crusade of Nicopolis Army. I was just so pleased that somebody took it to this competition because uh, it was one of the armies allowed from um, House of Osman. Is that House of Osman? House of Osman, yes. House of that was specifically allowed to this. And it's, um, it, you know, it, 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 I think it's a mention of slightly insa slight insanity because Dave, Dave is always good for an oddball army as well. So I think it, it, it's, it's sort of just a shame that. GK didn't play him because that would have been they, would, they had the dates the same that could have yeah. been almost the real battle um, although you didn't have the Janissaries that were at the battle yeah that's true <laughs> so anyway enough of my waffling on but, but, but big props to uh, Dave for, for taking that army I, I, as I said I was so pleased when he sent it through and I could list check it um, so anyway Mr Hayward <laughs> Right. Over to you for your, your, your Ottoman. Right. My, my, my Ottoman is a rough-going shooty cavalry army. <laughs> That's what it was designed at. Right. You, you all know I have a bit of an OCD when it comes to, campaign, uh, to, to competitions and looking at what people might bring. So, the one, I really like Ottomans. Liked them for years. Could never get them to work in under rules, any rule set. And I've always thought Meg was the best chance for it to work as it should. So that that was the start of the army. I did a load of play tests where I deliberately avoided the Serbs because I wanted to see if I could get a vanilla one to work. And in the end, I decided that what the Serbs brought to the table was uh, either a punch or a heavy enough delaying force that it would allow you to do whatever you wanted to do on the other side of the table whilst not worrying too much about what's punching a hole through the other flank. So that was, So in the end, it had to have the Serbs. There's a 
for this competition, I thought there were going to be a lot of Crusaders. I also thought that the Almorids would show up. So I, I assumed there was going to be a fair amount of heavy infantry. Now, the later Crusaders, obviously, the front rank of their crossbowmen are close order foot. So what I looked at was an Ottoman army that was very capable at fighting in rough and difficult going. So that meant I wanted all 16 Janissaries. And then oddly, I wanted all the light horse. And I'll explain why in a minute. Um, and then there's an upgrade or a downgrade, depending on how you look at it, for the bog standard Azab archers. And you can, I think we discussed it in the last podcast, actually, you can actually regrade them to have barricades. Now, as daft as that may sound, what that gives you in, in the list that I ran, which I'll talk about in a minute, it gives you a nine base width piece of terrain that you can put in your table, your, 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 your deployment area, that makes it immune to mounted. Mounted cannot go through that piece of terrain. So what that gives you is a nine base width wide area where you can put your Serbs, move cavalry backwards and forwards behind your line, and only enemy infantry is going to get close enough to deal anything about it because their mounted can go sit on the other side of the barricade and look at you riding past, exposing your flank all day. So, <laughs> so you know, you know, waving at them as you go past. So, so, the, so that was the idea. So the aim was an army that was capable of fighting rough and difficult going, which would either attack into nasty terrain or would defend in nasty terrain. So, right, let's talk about the list. I went with three competent professional generals and a competent instinctive ally, which was the Serb. Um, poor unfortified camp. You've got pretty much no choice there, really, unless you want Mopal, and I couldn't see any reason to take it. So you then have two blocks of eight Janissaries, which are the drilled, loose, superior, protected, skilled boat. Um, I then went with uh, two blocks of the average Sfahi, who are, first block is a block of six, which is average, protected, experienced bow, short spear, so standard for the list, normal uh, Ottoman cavalry. The second unit was a block of four, which I downgraded to poor, unskilled bow. Basically, they're my, it always turns up on the list. It's my delaying unit. It's the one I throw out on the flank and don't care about. Uh, and then you have two blocks of Serbs. Now, the first, uh, they're all front rank, average, fully armored, charging lancer, dev charger, melee expert. Back ranks are the same, but protected. So there was a block of six and a block of four. I'd have loved two blocks of six, but I just couldn't get the points to work. That's it for tugs. So that only gives you seven tugs. So it breaks on four. I think you've missed one out. Oh, best Svahi. Thank you. Yes, sorry. Uh, the only reason I missed them out is they did bugger all. For, sorry, but they did nothing in almost all my <laughs> games. <laughs> sorry. Um, so their cavalry formed loose, superior protected, experienced bow, short spear, block of six. Um, despite the fact they're the best Svahi, as a unit, again, it's another delayer as far as I'm concerned. They don't have many experts. Same problem Paul has with his Lithuanians. Wants to, in combat, beyond the charge, even being superior, they're going to get whittled down fairly quickly and they just don't give you the punch. But anyway, so there, seven units, seven tugs, sorry, so break a four. But I've then got six sugs. Now there's the, the Jambazan, who are cavalry skirmishers, average unprotected, skilled bow, melee expert. Now the melee expert is compulsory. So I actually bought them for the skilled boat, not the melee expert. And there's a reason for that. And then two blocks of a Kinji, who are skirmishers, average, unprotected, experienced bow, Canterbran, combat shy. Did I get it right again? No, he cocked it up this time. Damn! 
You, you hit your high point at the last one. Can't yeah, that's it. I'm again. done now, aren't I? <laughs> that skirmishy thing with the bow that, you know, <laughs> that costs points. Anyway, I'm not even going to try and say it again. I'm sulking. Right, anyway. And then there are handgunners, which are infantry skirmishers, average protected firearm, experienced firearm, combat shy. And then there's the Azab archers that I mentioned earlier, which are skirmishers, poor, unprotected, unskilled bow, barricades, combat shy. Block of nine. Now, they're 35 points each and gives me nine barricades. I'm not going to argue with that. 315 points for nine base width worth of train, effectively. And then there's the Balkan Light Horse. Now, they're cavalry skirmishers, average, unprotected, charging lancer, block of six. Honestly, useless. But I had 200 and something of points to spend. Um, so I took them. Um, they, they actually had uses in some of the games, but didn't really justify them being there. But anyway, so... And that gave me a PBS of eight and a scouting of five. So that's the army. Um, its use was pretty much the aim was either to defend in mountains, if I could, or attack into mountains, if I could, or any rough going. So I think in all my games where I had a chance to control the terrain, it went into the densest possible area it could. In fact, I think against Paul, I put it in the really dense area because I actually had fairly rubbish cards and I expected to have Paul Cummings with his Lithuanians move it out a few pegs. And actually, we matched each other car for We dealt identical hands and we matched <laughs> each other car for card. The damn thing did not move. And so it was like very dense in, uh, in mountainous terrain. Um, for, which, for two cavalry armies. For two cavalry armies. I, I well, was surprised. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, to be fair, the the... the the entire basis of the army was built around it can't fight knights frontally even with janissaries in the open fighting those is a dead loss so while on table with enough terrain that my opponent has to cover it he has to put stuff in it particularly if you can place it in his his deployment zones so so, so that was the aim um the janissaries would then move through the terrain now Okay, they've got no me melee weapon, but they're skilled shooters, drilled loose, and they're superior. It makes it incredibly hard for any kind of infantry to close to them. If they're close order infantry, they don't want to go into the rough. Because actually, I win in the rough. If they come and fight me, I'll shoot the hell out of them, and then I'll beat them up in combat. Um, that Which brings me back to the 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 the... the the Jan Pazan skilled bowman. Why, why take skilled and not take the Kinji, which would have been slightly cheaper? It's because if you put a block of 16 Janissaries in mountainous terrain, difficult terrain, you can stick a block of skilled horse archers on the end of that line and sug uh, and, and tug, tug the sug, as it were, and they move three and they still shoot a skilled bow. If you do that with a with an Akinji unit, they're only moving two because they're formed up in Cantabrian. Yes? No? Yes. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it slows your entire line down. So it allows you to put the, the, the light horse on the end of the line and uh, and drag it along because they can deploy within five of the table edge. Um, the other thing is, if you're using rough going, if you deploy two lots of Kinji and the, the, the Jambazan into a piece of rough going and shoot out of it, Actually, anybody who comes in can't push you out of it. The only way they can push you away is if you're entirely in it, they've got to charge you. Okay, you want to charge a light horse in rough going, you go for it. If you're close order foot, fine. You're taking a risk. 
you're, you're going to get shot down, particularly if there's a couple of units Janissary sat by going, hi, you know. <laughs> so, 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 so there's that. Um, the Serbs, I took a competent instinctive. They were always going to deploy at the back. Um, probably either behind the barricade, as in the, the, to one edge, so they could always maneuver either way without being interfered with. And if they went unreliable, then I've got a few turns to you know send out some skirmishers, slow them down, do whatever I need to do. Um, surprisingly, it worked quite well. First three games, max fifteen points for each. Um, Argue with it. Yeah, um, I got my ass handed. Sorry, I, I got kicked slightly by Lee in the last round on the top table. But I will say, I had a third of his army within breaking point of uh, of the units breaking. I was about to launch a charge on, I think they were unprotected, poor, combat-shy, unskilled bowmen that were guarding his fortified camp with two blocks of Janus or with a block of Janissaries. Uh, having just, yeah, anyway, it, it, it was a glorious failure on my part for that game. But um, it, What can I say? It was, um, oh, anecdotes that, uh, well, Paul won't appreciate. Paul <laughs> charges his... Paul charges his superior um, cavalry straight into a block of eight Janissaries. Never gets the cards in which to pull them out and promptly ends up fighting 16 Janissaries. They didn't last long. <laughs> <laughs> that was the end of that flank. That was the end of that flank. <laughs> 16 Janissaries just sort of kept walking up. And in fact, the Serbs in that one, I think, did a glorious job of standing in the center and just going, well, I'm just going to stand here mostly. Um, I think the, the, the Jean Bazan engaged a unit of his um, flexible foot that were in um, that flexible horse that were in um, sug formation. And then they battered each other senseless for a, a very long time and held up the other flank. Mm. Um, um, uh, yeah, the, the anecdote that Nick mentioned at the very beginning was against Lee. Uh, to be fair, I think I got a little over eager, but I set up two flank Serbian charges into two blocks of his knights. So I was going to hit both in the flank, having sacrificed my random unit of rubbish to force him to pursue straight past the main block of Serbs. And uh, the others, uh, uh, the, and the others, Fahi on the other side had done something similar. They were supposed to break, break off and retreat, but they just died on the spot and ran away, which was fine because it still put them in. Ingo, both units are served straight in the flank. You know, we, we, I think we were plus six on the dice. So, reds and yellows <laughs> all across the board. I've never seen so many S's in my life. <laughs> I didn't, I did nothing. Literally, he turned around and then butchered me. And yeah, that pretty much ended the game there. But, um, you know, you, you, you can only go and do so much before the dice gods go, ha. Uh, but no. <laughs> um, the army worked how I planned it. It was a really fun experience. Um, I, I was about to say I have a slightly more sensible list for it, but I'm not sure that class is as sensible, but one which has slightly more resilience, shall we say, um, which I may run in the future. But no, really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed all my games. I, I, I played Paul as Lithuanians. I, I, I played um, uh, Sam's uh, Alvarids, um in which the Serbs did glorious duty. They, they butchered the tribal Berber foot um, in spectacular style. Uh, I fought Pete Entwistle's later Crusader. The, their, um, 
the highlight of that game was the, the skirmishing like horse from a bit of rough going took two bases off his average Mamluks in the first turn. Oh, lovely. So the unit was immediately useless to him and he had to keep trying to get it backwards away, which of course left the flank of his superior Mamluks open to being shot at. Um, the Serbs were sacrificed to hold his night line and instead just cut their way through it and went for his camp, which, which, which bless Pete, was just like, he took it in remarkably good stead, but he, he I think he threw 12 superior knights at five frontage of um, average formed. So he was one better on across the line to me. And we, yeah, we, 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 we deeply upset him on that one. He, he got his own revenge though, when um, he, um, he destroyed a unit of Janissaries eight to nothing in a turn with Whoa. crossbowmen. It was just, I, I've never, I've, I've never seen anything. And, and, to, and it was in combat and it was green versus green. <laughs> just butchered me across the line. And I just sat there and went, yeah, fair cop. I killed your knights. You killed those. Yeah, I'm not, not going to complain about that one. Wow. Yeah, it was a, that, all exceptional games. The game against Lee, first class, loved it. Um, despite the actual butchering I got. Uh, it could have gone either way in a few occasions, but yeah, really good. So there you are. That's the army. That's my latest insanity. Did, did you play Pete in game two? Because uh, uh, Yes. He must be getting a bit fed up with those knights because he had two of his units of average knights got killed by one unit of superior, uh, one unit of four superior Sipai with a little bit of extra skirmish and shooting in the game against me and the Sipai <laughs> rode away with not even a wound. <laughs> we so, uh, we, we, we obviously, obviously scared him so much that yeah. uh, the mere word of Ottomans sent them running for the hills. <laughs> so whilst whilst you obviously you won three games, so it wasn't a factor, Matt. But obviously you've got seven tugs here, so you break on four. Would it have made much difference in the last game, or was it just one of those games? You know, you say you roll so many S's, it just wasn't to be. If you you know if you'd had an extra break point. The more it, would have, it, 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 it would have made a difference. It would have given me another turn in which I would possibly, even though his camp was fortified, have taken it. And as I say, about a third of his army was close to breaking. So those extra cab tests might well have done it. Um, to be honest, I think Lee would still have won it, but I might have come away with some points rather than no points. <laughs> it was a 15-0, was it? <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's uh, one of those... Yeah, yeah, it was one of those. Uh, it, it was a completely fair game. I, I can't complain about the dice, but yeah. Mm. Well, I can complain about the dice, all those S's, but yeah. yeah. Uh, of course you complain about the dice. <laughs> <laughs> it's what we do. So yeah, I, I must admit, I, I really like the look of that army. I have to say, I was expecting to to find out what the Balkan light horse, the cunning plan of the Balkan light horse was, and then he said you just picked it because you had the points fair. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, 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 it almost became an ablative shield. It would hang around on the side edge of any of the light horse units, and then basically go and interpose between them and archery. So they were taking the hits whilst all the superior shoot, all the S skilled shooting units were relatively protected that's what they did against lee they got absolutely mullered by a unit of crossbowmen but in turn all all the akinji and stuff were shooting back and took his crossbowmen down to almost breaking so i suppose they're quite scary for a skirmish as well aren't they because they charge and they charge six base wits to start with so it must be a bit of a difficult thing to run away if you're a sug so. Oh yeah, yeah, they they, they can they, they can do exactly that, and um, but I never had the opportunity because nobody brought 
skirmishy shooty cavalry armies. <laughs> I just, I just, I just I now got this impression of it. You, you know, as, as GK just said, you know, you, you took it basically because you had some points to fill. You put it put it down, the opponent started thinking, oh, that's unusual. He must have a cunning plan. <laughs> start, start really sort of thinking what, what they're going to do. What they're gonna, and all you're thinking of is you know, arrow fodder. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought about it like that. Yeah, yeah. O- occupy some space. Your opponent, your, opponent, your opponent's scratching his head somewhere and, and, and you beat him up <laughs> with the other stuff. I have to say, Nick, you play a very different game from me because I work on the principle that if I haven't a clue what I'm going to do with these things, then why should my opponent have any clue how they're going to work with their troops? Yeah, the thing is, if you know you haven't got a clue, that's one thing. If they don't have a clue, they can worry about it. You, you, you may have made peace with yourself <laughs> about your own troops being, I don't know, I'm going to push them out there or leave them at the back or just move them about randomly. Um, which I must admit, I have done with skirmishers occasionally. You know, oh, I've got a white card left. I'll just move these skirmishers over there because I can. Rather than discard the card, I feel, no, I'm going to make a move with it. <laughs> and the skirmishers, so it's relatively safe. My, my comedy moment also comes uh, against Lee Saunders uh, and is indeed to do with my, my skirmishy infantry who uh, had the chance to charge unit whose knights in the flank because they were within a, a base with the break. In fact, they were in a, within a wound of breaking. Um, hurled themselves into the fray, gloriously on white dice to his red. <laughs> which is, you know, which is not bad going for a flank attack. You end up on white and he gets the red. <laughs> they did manage the wound at the second attempt, though, because I had two followers. It was a glorious victory for them, but uh, yeah. It 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 it's a, it, it it comes with it. It comes with a with a uh, with a government health warning. <laughs> Charging knights <laughs> in the flank when you're a skirmisher doesn't necessarily work in your favour. <laughs> there, there are an awful lot of pluses the the unit you're charging can get <laughs> to make it a really bad. I like that. You, I'll charge in the charge him in the flank. I'm on white. He's on red. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those, he wouldn't even pay the cart to turn round for melee, would he? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll just carry on like this. <laughs> so a knight sort of reverses the sword and stabs behind him, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I leave the horse to kick him to death. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many, so many comedy scenarios. <laughs> but the, the only thing I'd say, going back to what we were talking about earlier, I, I actually floated the army commander in all my games. The army was designed for the army commander to float in that one because it meant that whichever side, whichever flank I was having the most luck with or the most success with because of my skill, obviously, they could get most of the cards. And it, it, it and it smooths off that rough area where, you know, you get three blacks or something in one command. Unless the army commander's joining in the hilarity, you've at least got something you can throw over to keep it all, all, all going. So the army was literally designed to work like that. Yeah. Oh, that, that makes sense. I mean, because, yeah, because you, although you've not got many tugs, you've got quite a lot of sugs there that d- yeah. still need moving. And 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 obviously the Kinjis and Danzaban were qu- quite important to how you're going to win games. Yeah. Oh, they were integral. Without them, it, 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 it would have been a lot tougher. <laughs> it's uh, cool. Okay. Well, th- one, it sounds like everybody had 
some really good games. I'm really doubly upset I couldn't make it now. Although no, I'm not I'm not sure I would have been overly up the table. I think I would have been behind behind most people. Um uh, so I'm not sure my army was terribly well thought out in retrospect. <laughs> I think I was thinking more of that. So just just, uh, just on the theme, as I said, you know, I I, I get the impression it was a goodie. And yeah, I'd go with that. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, not a criticism, but a comment on it uh, is, is going back to what I kind of said about the cross and crescent difference. I did look uh, using uh, Tafir Andalusian uh, to play or Sid, but when you look at the, the earlier nights, it, it, I mean, it is a thing in, in pretty much any war games rules. It's certainly true in Meg. Going in one factor down is not a, is not a good look. Sometimes you can outnumber an, outnumber the guy enough, and two factors down, suddenly you're, you're looking to white Dyson's dead. But just being a single factor down and paying quite almost as many points as they paid tends to be a bit of a, a bit of a losing proposition. So I just, I mean, I don't think there were there were boy, there were very few uh, uh, charging lances out there that weren't. Dev charging and fully armoured, I think, at least in their front ranks. Uh, so I'm not, uh, I think in some respects, the cross and crescent uh, period, um, uh, no, it's not fair. I think the difference is you, it, you're going to get different, you're going to get a different set of lists from essentially the same, the same uh, theme in, in a sense, it's, it's the Crusades, but by putting the date a lot later, you definitely skew the, skew the list selection uh in that way i think and it probably i don't know what i don't think it should have made a difference to the shooty the shooty cav because i guess the more expensive the the knights the better it is for the shooty cavalry because mm. yeah well until you get armored horse um added yeah. which then slows down the knights um just being fully armored doesn't affect the shooting what it does mean is if they do get to hand-to-hand combat they're more likely to go through you yeah um but there's some um i'd have to you know analyze the list to say this but i think there is one balancing factor in that the earlier lists with protected versions tend to have more superiors which sort of balances it out so if in fact they'll you know against an average unit of fully armored they'll be up it'll be this it'll be the protected ones that are up in charge because they're superior and then you'll be the same in melee combat it's it's if you're the same morale they often don't have a uh, dev charge the early ones as well though because i had uh, I, I did in fact fight one of those and it, you you are even you're your level yeah the I armor think gives you one in melee and the dev the, charge the, gives you one in the charge yeah, I think Ian used the Esther Leonese, and that I think had twenty-four superior protected charging lancer knights, and I think it had four extra superiors from the military orders. So it's it's the quantity of knights it gets rather than the um, initial factor. I um, I think I think there is a good army there with the Astalinis that could actually be quite competitive even against some of the later night armies. Um, but uh, yeah, they, I think the Crusades do tend to split between the um, earlier armies where the knights aren't quite as powerful and the later ones where they are. 
Yeah. Um, one, one of the things that disappointed me with the theme was that some of the historically valid armies weren't available um, either as ally or because they weren't in the right list set. Um, and one of the things I hope to do for the next army list index is to have some themes, suggested themes, which actually lists all the valid historical armies um, for a particular uh, theme. Um, so there might be a whole range of those from um, early biblical periods through to um, Crusades and beyond. Actually, I'm good to pick up on that because that actually is a real bugbear. Something that niggles me about um, some of the competition themes that are, are come up come up with. Um, I presume I presume you're referring to the the fact that th there was a, there was a list of eligible armies, if you like, either whole PDFs or specific armies that were named from other PDFs, and the competition theme rules said that allies could only also be from those lists. Now, I know, I know for a fact that in this particular competition, that, that definitely excluded historical examples. You, you couldn't do the, I think it's the German half of the Second Crusade springs to mind, and you couldn't do the uh, Ayubid army that fought at La Forbi, uh, you know, a, a quite important battle. Um, yeah. And I'm, and I, I think I think I'll hold my hands up. So I think I've included it in. I included it in warfare last year, um, but I was thinking I'm not entirely sure where this has come from, or whether it actually makes competitions any better. I, my gut feeling is that it doesn't. It's unnecessary, and you know, as it, as in the case with God wills it, cuts out some perfectly good historical combinations. And we're supposed to be playing a historical-based game. Okay, you know, the themes do throw out real fantasy matchups, if you want to call them that, but the underlying base is supposed to be historical. So I don't know if anybody knows where this came from. I don't, uh, but I guess the counter question is, how many of the Allies, I mean, I don't know the answer to this uh, history. I'm not anywhere near as knowledgeable in history as you guys, but how many of the Allies that might have been picked could have created an army that shouldn't be there? For example, there was one with Golden Horde ally, which probably wouldn't really feature in the Crusades. For example, that's that's the counter argument, I guess. Well, it, it worked both ways in that uh, there was some completely invalid armies. If your theme was Crusades, um, which were permitted, um, medieval Norwegian was one I actually looked at <laughs> just just to bugger everybody up, really. Um, and uh, on the other flip side, there were three or four valid allied combinations that weren't permitted. Um, so it, it's just, um, yeah, I, I've, I felt it was, um, as I sort of feel the same way, I guess, as Nick does, that if you're going to make it a historical theme, um, make it a historical theme. You're always at the kind of stage if you don't, if you, you're at the limit of your knowledge and it becomes quite difficult after that. I suppose you could say, Richard and Nick, I want to do this. Can you tell me what should, should be allowed? But beyond that, Absolutely. it'll be. Uh, well, well, the... that, and, and that is why I would like to add these suggested themes into the index to um, 
allow people who are organising the competitions, which is work and is appreciated to understand it, the the sort of solution that that hopefully makes it easier for them. Great idea, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think that'd be, uh, that is. Yeah, and Richard, Richard's absolutely right to emphasise that, you know, the people who organise these competitions are doing it out of the goodness of their heart. Um, and we do appreciate it. So, you know, I hope no, no organiser out there think, you know, when I'm saying I don't see the point of it, you know, having having a real go at it. It's, you know, I've, I've lived with it. I will live with it. If somebody puts it in a competition, it'll be there. You know, it's um, I just question whether it's absolutely necessary. But I do see the point GK made about, you know, there could be combination. You know, I'm, I'm saying oh, it's excluding valid combinations, but it's also excluding what you would call invalid combinations. So <laughs> before I realised that there was only one list that I realised you get uh, an ally with three blocks of skilled power bow in it, for example. Um, I think I was right. Maybe no, maybe it's two blocks of skilled power bow rather. Three blocks of power bow, two of which were skilled, and obviously that maybe wouldn't have fit, and that would have been allowed if if you'd allowed. All the allies, for example. Yeah, I think there's. I don't know if that's accurate or not. Maybe it is. Um, um, again, it would depend on the the theme. Is it this one? Because this was for this this competition. There was one of the lists that was available. Yeah, I think if if you'd have allowed any allies, Portuguese could have had an English ally. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, I, w I wouldn't have encouraged that. But it was it was the historically valid combinations that were excluded that I thought was. The disappointing piece. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I certainly wouldn't have wanted to see medieval Portuguese with English ally in a crusade competition army. That that wouldn't seem yeah. right to me. Yeah, I mean the thing is, this was sort of crusade-ish, wasn't it? it yeah, as, yeah. But uh, but I still wouldn't have wanted to see the English in there yeah. for sure. So you know, so that there was a definite benefit in not allowing them. <laughs> I think. I think Richard might have something to say, as in Lionheart might have had something to say about that, excluding the English. Or <laughs> well, reclassing him as Norman French. The, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, he one, wasn't English. He spent about two weeks in England he, his entire life, didn't he, or something like that. He, he was actually born in England. That was the two weeks, was it? I think he was. <laughs> but, but then in the most, most of his reign, England existed mainly as a piggy bank and manpower resource. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. You you would not call him English. <laughs> what what I would say is I, I I am enjoying the themed events, even if I don't necessarily agree with the theme as it's set out. I am enjoying themed events much more than open events. Sorry if you can hear the sound in the background. I I certainly would echo that. I much prefer themed events um, to open events. Yeah, likewise. But I would say we definitely need to have open events in the calendar for those who prefer them or like them. yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't disagree yeah so yeah just to, just to, just in case anybody starts saying oh yeah. the bloody historian blah, 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 blah. well yes but <laughs> I, think, I think from my experience themed events are pretty good for people who a know a fair bit about history and b been playing the game for a while once you've been to a certain number of open events you, you want something different if you're just starting, then being able to use any of your armies and just go and play against anything is quite is quite nice. The more you play, the more difference you want, really. I think that's that's tends to be my experience um, in in general wargaming competitions. Probably fair. Um, I have to say, we we got a couple of uh, new players entered into Footsloggers, 
because the uh, range of troop types was actually a bit more limited. Um, so they didn't have to worry so much. Um, so there, there are ways of doing it to encourage people as well. Uh, yeah, for sure. I actually thought that not long before foot sloggers, I thought actually would, would be really good to uh, almost advertise this as a beginner's competition because taking all the cavalry away, you're not getting the complicated skirmishes and all that interaction would be a really good learner learning experience. So things like that can be very good. So. And it, it's nice for those of us who like going through lists. It gives you a different problem to try and solve. You know, you've gone through all the lists a couple of times, or we can go through it with a different mindset, which is quite nice. Yeah, I think. Yeah, and I think we said previously about foot sloggers. What one of the nice things about that is once you got past the oh no cavalry. You know, for me who tend to use mounted armies a lot, mm. and you actually started looking at it as you say, go through the lists, see what is there. It was a lot more interesting than I initially thought it was. So again, this you know lesson again for us all: don't just don't just look at it and go, uh, have a bit of a look, have a bit of a think. But you know, not every not every competition will suit everybody. Not everyone no. will be your favourite. So and you don't yeah. have to either. Yeah. yeah, I mean, just maybe just one one last question around scenes before we move on and close up is um, I'm not sure we've had any, but. Is there any things that would make a bad seam? Uh, I've got one thing which I think is sort of, maybe not a bad thing, but I, I sometimes feel a bit missing. There seems to be a generic, uh, again, I've not been playing that long, but there's three, or three maybe four chariot era competitions, I'll call it now. And the, the general themes I'm seeing is chariot era, which is the, the, the three chariot books and mandate from heaven. And again, like you mentioned, the other one, you're not allowed to have any allies that don't come from those books. There's, um, and then there's the classical era, which is generally sort of all the classical books. There do seem to be a few lists that get a bit left behind there because they're around the sort of 500 BC mark. Some of the allies that the later chariot era uh, lists have got, you can't take because they're they're not in the they're not in the chariot era books. You get the they might be 700 BCE, but they're in they're in the classical book, and there are a few classical armies I think that get a bit don't really enjoy being bundled in with sort of Sarmatian lances and things like that. I mean, I'm looking at the Archimed, the early Archimedic Persian, for example. I'm probably guys can tell me it does work, but it, it it doesn't really have the tools to deal with charging lances and things like that. But but barring well, actually the early Archimedic Persian list just wouldn't have to deal with them. A bit later on, Alexander pops up, obviously, but then they've uh, uh, they've they've started recruiting more Greeks by then, but there's a few lists that feel a bit left out. You know, well, that's never going to see the light of day because maybe there's a period that needs to happen in there or something, um, is, something like that. Maybe that's the is, only thing I've noticed. Yeah, I, I think dates might be better than than books in a lot of ways. Um, to for for that sort yeah. of thing. So classical from or classical and chariot from date X to date Y, mm. um, and. And definitely, if you're doing it with dates, don't restrict the allies because um, you know, Rich has done all the work of making sure the allies are valid for that date. So rely on that historical research rather than just trying to fit things into a, a theme because it's because it's in a particular PDF in the way it's been organised in the first place. Here's, here's, well, a, here's a theme I've uh, I've been thinking of, uh, thinking on, which you may all decide is completely uh, ridiculous. Uh, so you're limited to having six. Uh, professional cards worth of professional general or seven instinctive can't mix and match if you're only professional generals your maximum is six 
you've got nothing but instinctive, you can have seven cards. That's it. So, so you, if you were professional generals, you would have you could have three mediocre generals, yes, or two competent, yes. <laughs> and or, you, a talented, so you, or, or a talented and a mediocre, if you like. I mean, and uh, and not a legendary at all. No, no. <laughs> or just a legendary. Yes, actually, you could, couldn't you? You could pick just a legendary. I'm not uh, sure. You, I think, you I think you're limited to two generals, aren't you? Yeah. I might be willing to make it. I, I might make a special exception if you, if, if you did that to allow you to have. You could have a one card one, general. Have a, no, no, you, you could just have a. You could just take the legendary general if you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> the, and still play um, full size armies? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could, you could reduce the points a little bit, but it, it almost it almost spoils the theme to do so. Mm -hmm. I the idea is to get you to pick a pick a, an army that's going to have to work on a really stingy number of cards. <laughs> it would lean a bit towards the uh, the super elite armies, wouldn't it? I think something like a Spartans with only a where you get like five or six units in that, most that of would, your points. Yeah, that would be yeah. my concern. I, yeah. One thing I have played with Pacto is actually, and this is a rule change, so I'm not recommending this, is just um, to remove the restriction on how many units a general can actually move as a block move. Um, but if you, I think if you did that and then played with your very restricted command, that actually might work. Uh, because you're, you're running the risk of, um, yes, you could move five units in one block, but the mediocre has to get the cards to be able to do it. And that's, that's all he could do. So that's your two cards used. <laughs> I'm thinking something with eight fully armoured elephants. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ghaznavid or Muslim Indian Sultanates. Yeah, and they're that's allowed pressure journals. So there's a talented and the mediocre and just, you know. Bash forward with the elephants. Well, I think I might. I think I might therefore argue um, there is no such thing as a bad theme. <laughs> <laughs> as we're already thinking about your theme, and we've all agreed. Well, we could do it well, like this. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The bad theme would be a theme where everybody chooses a single army because it's far better than all the rest. That yeah. that would be the only criteria really for a bad theme, and that's quite hard to do in Meg. I think the only time I've. I've encountered that i think was one year at campaign which traditionally has quite restricted pools i, th I think it might have been the last one where it was i can't remember exactly what the theme was but basically serbian empire was the army of choice yeah um there was a, you know a, it's difficult to do low number army choices uh, sometimes and sometimes it can be the army that you, an army just pops out, somebody spots something in it and goes, ooh, hello, and it sort of gets out and everybody picks it sort of thing. I've, yeah, I must admit, I have to say, you know, despite bringing this up, you know, I've, the, while I've had themes I prefer to other themes, it's often down to historical bias. You know, it's a period I like, or I can use an army I really like, so I just get a bit more out of the competition. I think, you know, Paul, I don't think I've been to one and thought, that was a rubbish theme, I hope we never see that again. Yeah. You know, but, the, the other criteria for a bad theme would be a uh, selection of armies that nobody has. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, nobody turns up. <laughs> but uh, ho ho hopefully, uh, if you can avoid those two issues, it seems to me that actually 
um, there's there's an awful lot of options available. I think you want variation, don't you? I think I mean that's kind of basically the first point Richard made, really. But you need to have enough variation. You need to turn up going. If if you if you know if you're going to look at all the lists and think only one type of thing is ever going to turn up, it's it, you you end up playing four games that are very very similar. Um, it's less fun. I mean, you can still have good fun doing it, but it's less fun. You want a bit of variation, um, so you can, you know, complain about the draw. At least you've got something to blame when uh, when you do bad. I, I must, yeah. must admit, I'm, I would like to see a Greece and Persian theme because that seems oh, yes. to be an area that seems to have got a bit neglected for for reasons I don't really quite understand. But excellent. I shall bring Sassanid Persian then. <laughs> oh, that isn't quite what you were on about. Well, that wasn't what I meant to you know. It. <laughs> how would you I do that? Really, I, th I think that actually links back to um, what um, Graham was on about earlier. You know, the, that that period, well, like the Achaemenid Persians, mm. seemed to drop out yeah. of everything. Because yeah, it, it's probably it's because you. It probably starts with the Median Empire, which is in the uh, uh, Assyrian Babylon book. Yeah, and it goes through to um, uh, sort of probably Age of Alexander or something, and then the problem is that, that those armies are scattered amongst the eight classical list sets. So there's a bit of work involved in identifying the armies. But yeah. anyway, I'll, I'll, I'm, it's one of my things that I'm working on. Yeah. It, it'd be one I'd be interested in because, funny enough, Mr. Cummings mentioned uh, an author, Tom Holland, who'd written a book called mm. Persian Fire, so, uh, which I've just finished listening to actually on Audible. But um, fascinating stuff. So that kind of campaign is actually in, in my mind at the moment. <laughs> and, you know, I'm already planning an army which will no doubt have chuckles from everybody. <laughs> but, you know, you know, so, so if there's an opportunity to field something insane legitimately, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. I, I could feel myself being dragged to do a later Achaemenid Persian in Zeiston figures, partly because it's just a bit naff. <laughs> or shall we say challenging? <laughs> well, it's an army that's famous for losing, isn't it? So it's, uh, you know. Exactly. I've, I've always had this thing, thing about preferring end of empires to beginnings. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, that... that you know, crushed under the hooves of Alexander the Great is uh, is that okay, guys? I'd, we've we've been going on quite quite a bit of time now, and hopefully everybody's found it interesting. I just thought I'd ask Paul Cummings just to do one last thing. I think I, I mentioned it to him previously. Mm. Hopefully, is there's been a bit of chat outside of um, some of the other normal uh, communications. I think it was on a WhatsApp chat chat about themes about competitions um, and one of the things that was mentioned was you know nearly all of our competitions are two days um, some people don't have the time um, and maybe maybe getting some one day competitions into the calendar to mix it up a bit um, so maybe slotting in between what are almost one a month two day competitions um, Okay, we, we, we'll ignore October this year, which just got a bit weird um, when saying that. But in general, we've generally had, if you like, one, two day every month uh, for most months. Slots and one day as in between um, provides a different format. 
opportunities for people who can't make the other ones, opportunities for people who can't make two days. And I think I think Paul had some ideas or had collated some ideas. So Paul, just to you know, float it to the um, to the wider community who listen to the uh, the podcast, hopefully. Yeah, well, the cunning plan, as far as it went, was to try and get more one-day competitions and in more places so that people don't have to travel so far, what with the cost of petrol and all that sort of thing. Um, obviously, the problem with one-day competitions is you don't get as many games in, you don't get the sort of sorting hats effect of um, enough rounds of, of um, competition to work out who is the greatest. Um, and you don't, you, know, you obviously don't play as many different people. So as a organisational thing, the idea was to try and come up with a, a league structure um, where we could try and organise it so that if you have these one day competitions, you try and you know, plan it so you're playing against different people who, who you haven't played at pre- previous competitions. Um, but we can collate all the scores, all the matchups to have a championship over time. So a league in effect. Um, so some thoughts on making uh, regional um, divisions in an NFL sort of style um, <laughs> and see, see where we get to. Uh, I, th- I think some of the levels of complexity that we could add in are not necessary. Uh, I think in the first instance, an idea of organising a few one-day competitions, um, collating results from different places and having that as a league is pretty much where we, where we want to start. Um, I think key for me in terms of organisation is too many things would mean that it will probably even kill even my ability to keep track of all the data um, <laughs> to begin with um, without you know, having other people maintain the records, but it'd be better if it's all in one place and keep it all in, keep it all organised. Um, there were some thoughts about having individual games being able to add to the league, but again, in the first pop, I think that'll just make it more complicated for less benefit. So what I'm really looking at is I'm hoping I'll try and organise at least the first couple of games or first couple of days, uh, organise them at least over the summer and see what happens and see if we can get people to sign up obviously it won't need signing up in the in advance it's turn up to a competition which will be a couple of games or maybe three games in a day and chuck the results in and if it looks like it's going to work that would be great so any suggestions of how to improve on that first first thoughts gratefully accepted um in fact obviously I think the easiest thing would be to set up a new channel in the um, in the in our nice new Discord server we've got sitting there, <laughs> uh, which has been surprisingly popular um, since we got that going. So we get some ideas in there and start bashing things around. Sounds like a good idea. I think it's possibly worth emphasising just because words like league and are being thrown around doesn't mean it's some sort of super competitive playing no playing no. for playing playing for your houses sort of thing that's just a label <laughs> yeah the, the reason describing it as a league is just so that we can try and well people like to see who's coming out top um not super competitive but no more competitive than any normal competition um it's more massive keeping records to try and make it easier to play other people so that the say you no know, if you only got two or three um games in a day and you've got 10 players, you're only going to, you know, you, you're not going to, you quite easily end up playing the same people every time. So, a bit of record keeping, a bit of organising, try and make it so you play different people each time. That's that's the core of it, I think. And, and I mean, we, we had, uh, was it one of Ray's themes that ended up being, sorry, excuse my hound in the back. Yeah. <laughs> um, was it one of Ray's themes that ended up being split 
over geographic Armageddon. So so we, even if we did one day events, we could actually set up a theme with, as you say, regional leagues, so we can all be participating in the same thing. Apparently, my dog will be playing. Right, shut up now. <laughs> Strong opinions there. Yeah, perhaps they want to join in the league. Yeah. Saying, Dad, buy me an army. <laughs> Probably get better cards and dice than I do. <laughs> but yeah, Matt, I think I think you're exactly right. Having the same those same things happening in lots of different places at the same time. No, I mean, that was really good. I really enjoyed that Armageddon for that. That was it was an oddity because it was straight after the worst of COVID, and we were doing all sorts of pods and things to try and make it work. Yeah. Um, but it had some useful ideas, and that effectively became a sort of a league with different divisions happening and then mixing. And I think that was quite a an interesting yeah. idea. Yeah, I think it, it wouldn't necessarily have to be different locations playing on the same day either, would it? I, I think it have to be is, is, is a strong for anything in, the, in this concept. It, yeah. I, I think the idea really is to make it as open as possible, easy as possible, get and basically make it as easy for many people to get as many games um, as possible, really. I think if it was if the idea was to get three games in a day, would it be worth uh, thinking about a lower points value? Oh, I think definitely. For th- if, it, if we were aiming for three games, yeah, yeah, unless you play like I do. <laughs> I think uh, a couple of things. I, I I think firstly, as you say, I think I would definitely want to keep all the games in it involved in the competition days. Because I think um, that's fine. You turn up to a competition, you, you turn up with your competition head on and, and you've usually got your head into a space of, okay, it's a competition, I'm going to lose or whatever. If it was an ongoing thing and people's friendly games suddenly become their one league game, you could, you could just get a bit... Not, not just You put pressure on a game, you play yeah. someone five times, you put pressure on a friendly game, it doesn't feel right for me in the same way. Um, I think if I was going to organise, I think the, the best thing to do is pick one or sorry two or three different places and say have right you're going to run you're each going to run two one day events and people turn up for that and then just collect the results and that'll probably be a good way to start it and then so that's your 2002 variant or whatever and then see how that goes that's a good plan it's a yeah. good plan yeah and in the end it's an excuse for playing more games isn't it yeah exactly, exactly that yeah yeah yeah, it, it, yeah I would, it, no compulsion, all voluntary. You know. We will force you to play games. Yes, <laughs> definitely not. You know, this is all. This is all. Yeah, as is. Well, if I could claim that you forced me to buy the lead to play the games, <laughs> that would be fine. <laughs> that just sounds as an excuse to your wife, Matt. Is, is, is this for you trying to sneak something past Joe? Pretty much, yes. <laughs> I had no choice. They made me do it. <laughs> it, it was peer pressure. It was. Anyway. Okay, folks. I, th- I think we've, we've been going near enough a couple of hours now. So that, that, I think it's been really good. So um, Richard's already had to leave us, um, I, I noticed. Um, so because we passed the time we'd booked for it. Um, just to say thank you very much to everybody. Um, thank you to our three guests. Um, we might even have you back at some point. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, and yeah. I think yeah, certainly, if, if if the the you know if we can get the, the league thing has traction, if people want to do that, um, might have Paul back just to reiterate what he just said, or just give us an update on how it's going, so that people know it's there. Um, 
sort of watch this space really isn't it i think on that point yeah yeah so anyway thank you all very much that's been great um look forward to seeing you across the table sometime um and if not across the table in the pub before or afterwards (laughs) (laughs) thank you very much and good night megas